A reading from Luke chapter 23. And as they led him away, they seized one Simon of Cyrene, who was coming in from the country and laid on him the cross to carry it behind Jesus. And there followed him a great multitude of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting for him. But turning to them, Jesus said, Daughters of Jerusalem, do not weep for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming when they will say, Blessed are the barren wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nurse. Then they will begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills cover us. For if they do these things when the wood is green, what will happen when it is dry? Two others who were criminals were led away to be put to death with him. And when they came to the place that is called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on his right side and one on his left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they cast lots to divide his garments. And the people stood by watching, but the rulers scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he is the Christ of God, his chosen one. The soldiers also mocked him, coming up and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was also an inscription over him, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God? Since you are under the same sentence of condemnation, and we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward of our deeds, but this man has done nothing wrong. And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. This is the word of the Lord. Even to the end. Jesus wasn't particular about the company he kept. During his life and ministry, he was once infamously slandered as a glutton and a drunkard because he dined with tax collectors and sinners. And here he is now at the hour of his death, dying between two good-for-nothing criminals. And the Greek word for criminal, it's, it's actually a compound word. It combines the words for evil and the words for doer or worker. So here is Jesus, he who worked wonders, who fed 5,000 people with just a few loaves and fishes, who healed the sick, who cast out evil spirits, who, who had a woman who had been bent over in her body for 18 years stand up straight for the first time, who, who cleansed lepers, who stopped a woman's 12-year flow of blood, gave sight to a blind man, and even raised the dead. This Jesus, the very definition of a do-gooder, if there ever was one, spending his last living moments between two workers of evil. These two crooks, good for nothing criminals, were the last people on earth with whom Jesus spoke. He whose birth the angels sang dies between two men who were no angels. Not by a long shot. How fitting. After all, Jesus was the one who said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. And the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. 
For such men, Jesus came. For such men, Jesus died. At the very last moment, the second thief, approaching the hour of darkness, turns his head toward the light. He's the last person to speak with Jesus. He's the first and only person in any of the gospel accounts to address Jesus simply by his first name. With everyone else, it's rabbi, teacher, master, and Lord. But with this second criminal, it's just Jesus. There's a tender, familiar quality about this scene. Here in his darkest hour of agony, Jesus has at last found a friend in the person of this thief. And the thief's request is simple. Jesus, remember me. Brothers and sisters, this is faith. This criminal knows as well as anyone That he and Jesus are going to die in short order. But he still asks Jesus to remember him. This criminal, of all people, is the first person to understand, to believe what no one else yet does. He is the first person to believe what is the very bedrock, the very unshakable foundation of the Christian faith. That in Jesus Christ we encounter the very embodiment of a divine love that is more powerful even than the grave. On Good Friday, this second criminal already has Easter faith. Remember me means that this death is not the last word on this life. Remember me means that this darkness will not last forever. Remember me means that this life is not all there is. Remember me means that who we are in Jesus matters infinitely more than who we were apart from him. This man lived and was condemned and very nearly died as a criminal, self-professed. He says that this condemnation, this death sentence was just. It was merited. He deserved it. But in turning to Jesus at the very last moment, he is no longer a criminal. At the last moment, he becomes himself a child of paradise. We have much to learn from this criminal. First is that it's never too late to turn to Jesus. We're, of course, very skeptical of deathbed conversions. They seem like cheating. Be a rotten, awful person your whole life, and then right at the end have a, you know, come to Jesus moment, and you can get off scot-free. And we go, God can't be such a dupe, can he? He can't be so gullible as to, in effect, sell fire insurance to someone whose house is burning down. Christopher Hitchens, the, the journalist and late great new atheist famously remarked as he was faced with a diagnosis and the prospect of of terminal esophageal cancer that he would remain steadfast in his unbelief to the end. And that if any circumstances, be they pain, medication, desperation, should drive him to profess some kind of belief in God, no one should take it seriously. He was pre-committing himself to not converting. He was saying, for him... 
it was too late. Fortunately for us, and for Mr. Hitchens, we have no reason to believe that he did otherwise and may remain steadfast in his unbelief. But even so, fortunately for him, fortunately for us, we are not the ones setting the terms for our admittance to the kingdom. Jesus is. And with Jesus, this side of the grave, at very least, it is never too late. And that's not fair. And that's why it's grace. The second thing we learn from this criminal is that Jesus takes our faith far more seriously than we do. It's easy to dismiss the faith of this criminal. It is not intellectually robust. It's it's not reasoned. It's not dispassionate. It's not selfless. It is the desperate faith of a desperate man in the most desperate of circumstances. And here's the good news. That kind of faith counts too. And it is faith because it turns to Jesus for help alone. What matters isn't the strength or quality of our faith. Remember, what matters is the strength and quality of the object of our faith. Christians don't trust in trust. We don't believe in belief. No, no, no. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. We dare not trust the sweetest frame, whatever it might be, that we think we can lean on, that can, can, can bear the weight of our existence. No, we bear not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on what? Jesus' name. The name of Jesus, spoken by this criminal at the hour of his death. Christians are those who, like this criminal, have turned to Jesus in faith at whatever time, for whatever reason, desperate faith, long-shot faith, ulterior motive faith, ignorant faith, Hail Mary faith. Even that kind of faith can move mountains. It can move the mountain of Golgotha, the hill of the skull, from the very depths of hell to the heights of paradise. It's not about how strongly we believe, but the strength of the one who we believe in. And the last thing we learn from this criminal is that we are just as unlikely candidates for salvation and paradise as he is. And until we consider that, and we accept that, and we get that, until we get that, that we are no more likely to enter paradise than this man, that we will never Get the power of Good Friday. We will never understand the amazingness of grace. We can never understand the depth or the breadth or the height of God's love. On Good Friday, we see the essence of Christianity in all its brutal beauty. It's the negative image of the Christianity that many of us implicitly adopt A Christianity whose creed is, in the words of Reinhold Niebuhr, a God without wrath, bringing a people without sin into a kingdom without judgment through the ministrations of a Christ without a cross. Good Friday gives lie to that false creed. 
On Good Friday, we see God's wrath as a dimension of God's love, that God hates sin because it is sin that kills and destroys and debases and defaces God's creation. We see the depth of our sin, which rejects Christ and nails him to the tree. And we see the kingdom that comes not by papering over sin, by calling it something different, by psychologizing it. By making it something that, you know, belongs to the past. But we see that sin is a very relevant contemporary term. And that it has infected each and every one of us. And that the only solution is to get a true diagnosis. Because it's when we get the true diagnosis of sin that we see the cure. We see Jesus naming it and overcoming it and consigning it to the very pits of hell. And all of this happens through the power of the cross, where what separates us from God dies, where its power is spent, where the darkness converges to a single point on a single person to be extinguished forever. On Good Friday, Jesus went through hell so we could get to paradise. And other Gospels tell us that these two criminals were thieves. I've, of course, been kind of slipping back and forth between criminal and thief as I've been preaching. But in Luke, it just says criminals. But uh, other Gospels tell us that it was two thieves. And the great irony, of course, is that the righteous thief, whatever else he stole in life, stole at the end a reward he did not deserve. But he didn't exactly steal it. Because Jesus let him take it, and he didn't deserve it, but Jesus let him take it, and none of us deserve it, but Jesus lets us take it anyways. Praise him for that. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Let's pray.